I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm Eileen Slifring. And welcome to this edition of The Current Podcast. This week, we're delighted to talk with Jonathan Stringfield, VP of Global Business Research and Marketing at Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard made headlines in October. Microsoft closed its $69 billion deal with the gaming company, the home of legendary games like Candy Crush, Call of Duty, and World of Warcraft. Activision says it's ready for the next chapter as part of the Microsoft family. As well as being a VP at the company, Jonathan is also the author of Get in the Game, an essential guide for marketers and execs who want to integrate their brands with modern games and esports. Published in 2022 by Wiley. The book is realistically a reflection of where we are in the greater marketing agency as it pertains to gaming. Overall, the level of investment in gaming is considerably lower relative to, I think, the amount that the fans are investing in it, the extent to which this is consuming a greater amount of their time, and that on the whole, there's a lot of questions from marketers in terms of what's the right way to integrate, and realistically, no good resources in terms of how do we start to get folks to understand what is ostensibly not just a a form of entertainment, it's a new way in which people are increasingly interacting with media more generally. So the book was in some ways kind of a start or what I was hoping to be a bit of a foundational educational piece to really kind of advance this conversation forward in the broader marketing industry. Yeah, there's definitely intense interest. And I've noticed even in the last 12 months, it's picked up incredibly. Can you give us a sense of the scale now of gaming worldwide to sort of establish that context? I think the latest estimates are the total gaming population will be about three and a half billion by next year. So somewhere between a third and a half of the population on the planet plays games. When we think about what it means to play a video game more generally, again, you kind of get that classic view of like someone with a controller or maybe at a PC or what have you. But realistically, one of the biggest segments of gaming fans out there is, is mobile, right? And since everyone has or virtually everyone has a mobile device globally that can handle games like Candy Crush, what we found is that the surface area for people that enjoy games is just that much bigger. So when you look at the stats and see that, you know, conceivably the revenue that's attributed to gaming dwarfs things like film, movies, music, or what have you, it's because of the scale of the industry, first and foremost, in terms of how many fans have proliferated, certainly in the last decade or so. Yeah. What's interesting is people have certain preconceptions about gamers, and gamers have changed over the years. I remember when I was coming up, I I had an Atari 800, and I used to play Frogger. I don't really consider myself a gamer anymore, but could you give us a little insight in terms of who are gamers? Yeah. So even the term gamer is kind of interesting insofar that it already kind of attributes a label that then kind of sparks preconceptions in our mind. There are folks that like readily identify as a gamer and are, you know, very into it. And one of these, you know, spend multiple, multiple hours and lots of investment in the ecosystem and so on and so forth. But then there's just as many, actually many more folks who don't necessarily consider themselves a gamer but they definitely play video games, right? And a lot of it is on mobile phones, but then some of these same folks do on consoles and PC and what have you. And one of the biggest trends we'll continue to see in the gaming industry broadly is that we're really looking at a world where we're trying to make sure that the experiences that we provide can be accessed on virtually any device. So I think by that metric, what we'll find is that the, the the definition is going to continue to expand. And I think there's no better example than what's been happening in recent years. Look at things like the extent to which you see gaming IP in major movies, 
television shows. I think there's some, last I counted, 40 or 50 individual projects for TV or movie being developed from game IP right now. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. And again, it's good now. So like there, there is this world where, you know, if you think about, you know, how games have been portrayed in movies, like maybe in the early 90s, like, wasn't that great? Right. <laughs> and like it kind of left a bad taste in people's mouth, not just folks that weren't fans of the games, but candidly, even the fans of the game. And that's really changed in recent years. So what that means in general is that it's just becoming not something that's an offset of culture. It's popular culture. And I think what we'll see in coming years is that already it's the case with even generations as young, and I'm definitely throwing up air quotes because I'm in this generation, as millennials, they spend most of their time gaming relative to other forms of media. And I don't think the marketing world has caught up with that fact. Do you happen to have a favorite gaming movie? Honestly, at this point, I do have a lot of heart for the old ones from the 90s, just because, you know, that's what I grew up with. I think the one that really kind of spoke to me personally is actually the Warcraft movie, because at that point, by the time that movie came out, I'd been playing Warcraft for a decade at least. And again, I'm not alone. That, that's a very common behavior scene. So again, think about Super Mario Brothers, any of these other movies, you know, folks are coming to this with the intention and with the knowledge that they've been engrossed in those worlds for 10 years, 20 years, sometimes 30 years. They're going to have expectations in terms of how that's portrayed in that media. And, you know, you mentioned it's very much like a family kind of affair. Um, one of the most interesting insights we saw on your site is that actually like one in five gamers are actually made up of women with children. So would you say mom's got game? Mom definitely has game and, and parents have game. And, and, you know, with that whole concept of how gaming is increasingly encroaching upon modern culture is that you now have folks who have basically been playing video games their entire life, have kept up with the hobby throughout and now we have homes and mortgages and kids and a bad hip and things like that. Like we are the principal shoppers in the household. And then we share that with our children. So both of my kids, they are big time gaming fans. And again, probably a lot of my influence on that. But even now I have one that's off to college and we can still hang out, right? Because we can hang out in virtual worlds. And again, I think there's something powerful about that. Activision has some of the world's most iconic, most played games. Candy Crush, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft. I know myself, I'm a big Candy Crush player. Play it every day on the subway. <laughs> Can you give us a sense of how and why these games prove so compelling? So on the one hand, almost all of the, like, the games you just mentioned have been around for decades. Whether it's like really novel and interesting mechanics like Candy Crush whether it's something like social connectivity from a game like World of Warcraft, whether you're just really interested in the story of the world, like something like Diablo, there's been something within those games that speaks to folks, right? And it speaks to them in such a way that, you know, again, when you think about media in general that we get engrossed in, that we become fans in, it's something that we develop a lot of affinity for. And what's different, I think, for something like a video game is that, you know, you're not just watching a protagonist. In many cases, you are the protagonist. You are in, impacting and have agency within that world. So the extent to which that you can form connectivity with that media, it's going to be so much greater. And then again, you layer on other fans that are participating with it, your connection with them. And, you know, you'll hear stories about people that have been playing World of Warcraft that made lifelong friends. They met their wife. They got married through the game. They got married in the game even. And, and you know, again, I think it's easy to kind of sit back and be like, wow, that's kind of weird. Like, but if that is the basis of your relationship, if you met your partner and participated and had adventures and shared stories with them, for 10 years, 15 years, then yeah, it's meaningful. I think these are the types of connections that folks are not quite in tune with yet, but it speaks to how 
much this type of media tends to affect its fandom. From, from a marketing point of view, the, what does it mean to have access to premium gaming experiences? And what kind of research do you do around this to define that concept? I mean, I think the, first of all, I think we can take the step back that like premium is by far the most abused word in all of advertising, sure right? Is. Like yeah. straight up, right? And again, I, th- I think that it's hard to find like hard and fast rules in terms of what does or does not constitute it. But in my mind, what I think will, will always tend to be the case is like, you'll see that on the one hand, it's these games that have large followings. And realistically, one of the parts that I find most edifying about my job is that, you know, these are household names, right? Like, even if you don't really play video games, you have heard of Call of Duty, you have heard of Warcraft, you have heard of Candy Crush. So there is definitely a qualitative and quantitative difference for games of that type relative to to others where there might be experience. And again, that isn't to say that there's you know, a big differentiation or that like folks shouldn't explore all kinds of places within the, in the gaming environment. But I think it is important to understand that particularly in these premium experiences, one, a lot of love and care goes in on the development side. And then two, the fans have a lot of love and care for those environments as well. So what we've found in terms of research that we've done, both as it pertains to how our, um, you know, our players think about these experiences or what have you, is that they realistically see that brands, when integrated into these titles that are kind of like the more household name premium games, they start to associate the same type of feelings that they have for the game to the brand, which is again almost entirely the point, right? Like they're trying, like the 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 high bar I think for brands is to kind of be able to participate in some of that equity and have it shine on their brand. And we try to facilitate that in a way that's both efficacious for brands, but then again also works well with the expectations of our fans in the game environment. How do you make it possible for brands to actually engage with like active users of the game? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you have integrated marketing. So this, these are the things that you've seen that are like the concerts, these in-depth integrations, you know, you know, Humvees and games like Call of Duty, things of that nature that really kind of speak to customized builds within the game environment. On the other hand, you have a lot of programmatic media opportunities that even occur in games like Candy Crush or what have you that are video spots and what have you that we tie into the game environment, again, in a way that kind of fits with the mechanics. So we work hand in hand with our developers to figure out where are the opportune places where brands can integrate, not just in a way that's not obtrusive with our players, but optimally in a way that can enhance the play experience. That's awesome. Uh, Could you give us a few like examples of brands that you guys have worked with and that kind of environment and way? I mean, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop short of calling out any specific brand aside, but we'll note that I think one of the big misconceptions about gaming is that has to be like endemic brands. That is definitely not the case, right? So we see everything from CPG to restaurants to anything in between. And actually we did do a case study with um, Prada recently where they were put their, one of their fragrances, Prada Candy, within Candy Crush, right? Which, you know, kind of makes sense that there's already like some degree of continuity between the two. And interestingly for Product Candy, it is a fragrance that has existed for a while. So it's not a new extension, it had been out on market, but then they wanted to kind of reinvigorate it. They integrated in Candy Crush. We did like an interactive game for players to like, you look and search for the fragrance on there. And then it linked to their site where they could pull out a sample and they went through all their samples almost instantly, right? So it's something that like, because it resonated that well with the game, it's something that, you know, the fans were really attracted to and I think really drove great results for product candy in that case. What does your research tell you about where people are playing these games? I know there's a split between mobile and console gaming. The vast majority of game activity happens on mobile. So it's not only that we have 
you know, titles like Candy Crush, which have ostensibly been mobile since mobile gaming was, was a possibility, we're also bringing a lot of our other franchises to mobile environments. So Call of Duty Mobile is a great example, Diablo Immortal. We really want to take all these franchises that were historically console specific and bring them to mobile environments. Now, what's going to be, I think, really interesting is that gaming is increasingly going to be a hobby that is divorced from gaming devices. And by that, what I mean is through cloud technologies, through increasing speeds on mobile, what we'll find is that virtually anywhere that there's a screen that's smart, there's probably going to be an opportunity to play a game. And that's where I think we'll continue to see kind of the the overall rise of the ecosystem insofar that the easier it is for folks to access these experiences, the more opportunities it gets to build that audience. So I think what you'll find is that you know, some of the biggest franchises won't just be relegated to console or PC. They'll continue to go more mobile, but then eventually they're just going to go to any screen that has an internet connection. I think that'll be a really interesting shift for the industry. Yeah, I see. You know, Activision asserts that gaming drives community, authenticity, and engagement. How would you say that's possible? And why does it matter to potential advertisers? You know, fandoms are created around shared love of a form of media. And on the one hand, you have a group of folks that are substantively interested in a given form of media, in this, ta- in this case, a game, many of them with social features in them, right? So like World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, these are all social games. You speak with your teammates. But even those that don't actually have social con- connectivity built in, Candy Crush is a great example. There's still a huge fandom of Candy Crush fans that go to like web forums to talk about strategies in Candy Crush. So they will go and find their community no matter what. The opportunity for advertisers is that, you know, fandoms are powerful, right? When someone has that degree of connectivity to media, when it's effective on that level, right, with an A, it can be effective with an E for advertisers. And I think the concern is that because of the intense love that, you know, game players have for games, that can actually be a little scary for advertisers. They believe if they integrate in a way that, you know, well, one, they believe they're not welcome in general, but then two, if they don't integrate in a very specific way, that's going to kind of go sideways on them. But if you find a way to integrate that is fan forward, that does kind of fit with the needs and expectations of the fans, it can be super effective for advertisers for that reason of the level of affinity that the game players have for the experience. It seems like gaming is driving a a big shift in entertainment habits. It's crossing... Transmedia might be one of the words, right? Like where it's multiple stories talked about through multiple forms of media. Yeah. What does this mean for for marketers? Do they understand how entertainment habits are actually changing? I mean, I, I think there's still learning to be done. And the general point that I want advertisers to walk away with is that even if you aren't bought into the idea of gaming per se, what you can be bought into is the fact that media in general is becoming more interactive. And gaming is obviously at the forefront of interactive media. And I think advertisers are very good at and understand even down to the psychology of how people think about movies or watch shows or even peruse social media. Less so, I think, at this time about things like interactivity. It's a different set of psychologies, right? It is a different way in which someone's mind is literally tuned into the media. And I think we're still kind of at the early stages of that. I'm encouraged that it has become a broader conversation. I think, you know, when things like the metaverse and whatnot were very hot, that was basically a reflection of that, right? Because everything that the metaverse was that we were talking about, you know, about a year ago and that are no longer really talking about, it was basically just gaming experiences, but it was the right idea, right? That, oh, wow, there's all these people that are in these online interactive spaces. How should I think about that? And again, maybe wrong focus at that point, but it was the right question. 
Hmm. One of the things I, you're very interested in is, is measuring attention and attention metrics. How does that work in the context of gaming and why is it so significant? Have marketers caught up with the way we should be looking at how people are paying attention in these new forms of media? I mean, you know, it is certainly the case that you will be hard pressed to find a single marketer out there that is happy with their measurement period. And, and again, to be clear, that's not a problem necessarily with the measurement companies. That's just kind of the nature of how measurement works with advertising. Fundamentally, most of the media that we're buying on is through the same metrics and lenses that we use circa 1970, right? It's reach and frequency, which is great. It has its purposes. Obviously, advertising is a scale game. We need to make sure that we have enough people that see a message, but we're less sure about whether it mattered to them or whether they saw it. So on the one hand, I think attention is becoming a broader conversation. One, because there is more focus on not just the breadth, but the depth of these potential interactions and how folks are consuming media. But then also because in worlds where more media is consumed interactively, reach and frequency just might not cut it. Regardless, almost regardless of what definition we land on, it's something that I think needs to happen because otherwise we're still going to be stuck in the same reach frequency mode of buying that we kind of used to buy linear TV several decades ago. You know, one area of gaming that is continuing to grow, I feel like, is that of like e-commerce and shopping through games. Just curious about how you see growth in that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the games industry wants to move with the economy of the world in such a way that like we want everyone to play our games. And ultimately, we just want to transact with folks in a way that makes sense for them. Right. So in some games, some experiences, no one wants to pay anything and maybe they're happy to watch an ad and that's OK. In others, they want to pay 60 or 70 dollars up front and that's OK, too. And then in a third, maybe they're buying certain you know skins and what have you. And again, that's fine. Like what all of these potential activations allow us to do is just, again, be flexible in terms of how we can transact with customers to, again, make sure that we're reaching virtually everyone. And that's it for season seven of the current podcast. We'll be back soon for a new season with more great conversations with the world's leading marketers. The current podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. Our theme is by Love and Caliber. The current team includes Chris Berklier and Kat Fessy. And remember, the general point that I want advertisers to walk away with is that even if you aren't bought into the idea of gaming per se, what you can be bought into is the fact that media in general is becoming more interactive. And gaming is obviously at the forefront of interactive media. And if you love this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. While you're at it, check out our other show, The Current Report, our weekly roundup of what's happening in the world of digital media. I'm Damien. And I'm Elise. We'll see you soon.